as someone who has been consulting people for 17 years in the world of podcasting, there are some questions that come up and I hear them on a regular basis. And what's interesting is they all have the same answer. Let me give you just a couple examples here. One might be, how long should my podcast be? Ask your audience. How often should I publish? Ask your audience. Should I get a new microphone? Ask your audience. How far does my audience listen? Ask your audience. Am I holding their attention? Ask your audience. Should I update my website? Ask your audience. You want to ask yourself, who is your audience, or at least the audience you're trying to attract, and why are they paying you with their time? Yes, I know it's a free podcast. But they're paying you with their time. And then flip that around. Why are you giving up your time to do this podcast? And today, I'm interviewing Mark from Beyond Bourbon Street. It's a great podcast about New Orleans. I've known Mark for a few years. I interviewed him for my book. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I saw on Facebook where Mark was celebrating one million downloads and he had a new book deal and that I found very interesting. I'm like, there's a guy that's got some insights. But the other thing I wanted to tap into is uh, what do you do when your podcast is kind of based on the tourism industry and a massive pandemic shuts everything down? I wanted to hear how do you survive that? Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting Sense 2005. I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, this is where I help you plan, launch, grow, and if you want to, monetize your podcast. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R. When you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription. And remember, that comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And I like to start off the show with either a because of my podcast story or a podcast quick tip. And then there are times when I want to do this. I got to tell you, we're talking today about why do we do our podcast in some cases. And today, I want to talk about Keith Fong. Keith is so cool. He is a person that signed up for what I call the podcast quick start. It's three months of mentoring and we get online at the same time and I just walk you through stuff. He has a podcast called way of the quality warrior. And I'm going to play you the trailer for that in just a second. But one of the reasons I do this podcast, obviously I want you to join the school of podcasting. That's part of it. But the other one is helping people with a message and with experiences, get their word out. And it was so cool because Keith and I were on, we walked him through setting up his Libsyn and setting up his pod page. And then we got into submitting his show to directories. And we started off with the typical ones, the Apple and Spotify and Google and Amazon. And they all kind of approve you in their own time. And so at one point I said, hold on, let me go back and check Amazon. So I went to Amazon and typed in uh, Keith's name of his show. And there it was already. We weren't even off the call and he was already. And I said, look at you, podcaster. And it was just kind of fun kind of watching him smile because it is very weird when you see something with your name on it in Amazon. 
and then shortly Spotify, and then Apple, and then Google. It was really cool. So here is the promo, the trailer for Keyshow Way of the Quality Warrior. Making things better. Is that an idea that motivates you? Then Way of the Quality Warrior podcast is for you. I'm Keith Fong, the host, and I have over 20 years of experience practicing, teaching, and coaching quality and continuous improvement. We're going to talk about making things better through the effective use of quality tools and concepts. Effective use demands that we consider and understand topics including quality philosophies, psychology, social and cultural norms, strategy, as well as the obvious topics of quality tools, standards, and statistics. We'll talk about how these ideas are applied in actual situations. One case we'll discuss is about a fast food restaurant that burned down in my neighborhood, and it didn't have to. Another case is about a monthly capital spending report that took three people two weeks of overtime to generate each month, and it was always missing something or had errors. After improvement, one person generated the report in less than a week with no overtime or errors or missing information. Another case that will come up is a group that was treated like second-class citizens, so much so that many employees tried to get out of the group as fast as they could, but it is an important group. After they took ownership of improving their processes, it completely changed. Most people stayed because they enjoyed the work and were making valued and valuable contributions. Making things better isn't a destination. It's a journey. I hope you'll join me. Subscribe on your podcast player or go to wayofthequalitywarrior.com and you can subscribe or follow there and find more information and resources as well as connect with me. Again, the website is wayofthequalitywarrior.com. Thanks for listening. And when Keith didn't end his promo by saying, Find me wherever you find podcasts. I had a huge smile on my face. You heard him say his website because your website is your home base and all the social and all the other places, those float around your main website and you make it easy by putting links on your website for people to subscribe. It reinforces your brand. So if you're into quality and production and all that kind of stuff, check out Keith's show again, Way of the Quality Warrior. All right. Well, joining me via Squadcast, one of my favorite examples in the book, let's just start off by plugging my own stuff, ProfitFromYourPodcast.com, is from Mark Bologna from Beyond Bourbon Street. He has this great example where he, he puts his sponsors in his private Facebook group, and then he asked his group, hey, is anybody, in this case, the sponsor was Two Chicks Walking, and he said, has anybody had a, a tour with the two chicks walking and like he said, hands just shot up everywhere and they were just walking testimonials. And it's really easy to then walk in with a contract for the next quarter to say, Hey, it's time to talk about your sponsorship. So check out his, his website beyond bourbon Mark, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Hey man, it's so great to see you and to talk to you. 
And you're absolutely right. I appreciated being in your book, but that was, you know, we can dive into that a bit, but that was uh, one of the keys that is still one of the keys to the success of, of my podcast and making a financial success out of it as well. Yeah, there's so many things I want to talk about. It's been a while. It's it been has. probably three years. Yeah, with COVID, we haven't had the conferences. And you've gone over a million downloads. You have a book that came out and you survived COVID and you're a travel podcast. So let's start with that. When COVID hit, everything shuts down. What happened to your show? You know, luckily, my show is kind of a mix of things to do as well as a history about New Orleans. So it's not strictly do this, do that, do that. So we really shifted more into the history of things. And then we did a couple shows about this is kind of the state of the city right now, you know, with COVID and here's what to expect and things were ever changing. So that made it very difficult. I like to do my interviews in person and all of a sudden that wasn't possible. So I had to pick up a Roadcaster Pro to and, and learn that skill of doing things remotely. And then uh, again, as you're familiar with teaching someone on the other end, how to, how to handle that. And <laughs> I'm often interviewing people that don't have experience being interviewed or being on a podcast. And so we really just kind of dug more into history and kind of made it up as we went. You know, it was tough from a perspective of, of getting content, but it was also tough from the perspective of all of a sudden my sponsorships went away. Because yeah. so many of them were, you know, I, I had a hotel, a couple tour companies, things that were dependent on tourism, and all of a sudden they had no tourists. But that kind of just took me back to the roots, you know, the thing that you talk about so much on School of Podcasting, and when you answer people's questions on Facebook, I see all the time, you can't start off being focused on the money, right? You have to have a, a core why that's beyond that, and if you do things well, then you sort of have to trust that, that you'll figure that part out. And I kind of just had to regroup and go back to basics and say, you know, for a while, this podcast is going to reset and it's going to be about what it started out being about. And we lost 90% of our sponsors. So that was really rough. I'm going to say that hurts. <laughs> that hurts quite a bit. We had some that stuck it out as long as they could. You know, some of them ended up having to close either temporarily or permanent. But we kept doing the things that you alluded to. We have a big Facebook group the Beyond Bourbon Street crew, K-R-E-W-E, -E, about 14,000 people. And I kept plugging businesses, even though they weren't sponsors and, and doing just repeating, right? Hey, anybody heard of this? And if they did, then I would reach out to that company and say, look, obviously, even right now, there's people interested in your product or your service. That really enabled us to help rebound. But it was a shift. It's still a shift. People um, are still sometimes reluctant to do in-person interviews, and businesses, you know, probably all over the country, but certainly here in, in a place so driven by tourism are so focused on just trying to keep the lights on and get back up to speed. You know, sometimes it's hard to, to get them to squeeze out an hour to get on a, an interview with you. Yeah, that's always fun. I, I want to talk about, I know you had, and you don't call them sponsors, even though they're sponsors, you call them partners. I do. And, and one of them, and it kind of goes in with the flavor and the brand of your show, which is instead of getting... I don't know, a Hilton or a Ramada Inn or whatever. You went with this totally local, yep. had the flavor of the the city, and you kind of went with them. And, and I always thought you had a brilliant way of coming up with your, your pricing because you said, well, look, if somebody's coming to the hotel, they're probably not traveling alone. Right. They're probably going to stay for X amount of days. So how much would they pay 
you know, to stay at the hotel and you just went to the hotel and approached them that, but didn't you used to do a thing where you had a meeting with them to kind of like every now and then shake hands and go, is this still working for you? Yeah. So both parts of that, I kind of, and I completely took this idea from Michael O'Neill from the solopreneur hour. There you go. Um, And Mike had coached me a bit. In fact, I mentioned him in the book, this idea of lifetime customer value and people get all hung up on, well, how do you calculate that? And how do you know? you just got to do a little research. It doesn't need to be perfect, right? You can estimate somebody comes in town for three or four nights on average. You can go look on a website and see what the price is online to try to reserve the room yourself. You can just guesstimate how many times people might come back if they, if they are loyal. And that at least gives you a starting point, right? But that second point that you mentioned, I think is really critical. And that's that continuing to touch your sponsors, your partners, checking in with them. Is this working? Uh, and I've had, particularly coming through COVID, some of the sponsors that have stayed or some that had to drop off and have come back, we've had to sort of start at a different price because they're at a different point, you know, mm-hmm. and I could take a hard line and say no, but I'm willing to take a chance. I already know that these are businesses that are good fits for my listeners because I've asked, I've done the research, right? We know all that. So I'm willing to take a step back if it gets them back on board. And so in most cases, what I've done is... is negotiate, okay, okay, in a COVID world, what can you do? And then let's agree that we'll reevaluate that in a quarter. And ideally, I need to step back up to the rates I was at, or maybe even more, because now I have, as you alluded to, I have a much bigger listenership than before. So let's work our way up, but let's do that together. Uh, And for me, that's worked. People are, are, you know, thrilled that you would be willing to concede off of the rate. And I'm not giving it away, but there's also some, I'm going to succeed if they succeed. So I've been willing to step back a little bit and then over time, you know, step the rates back up to where they were and in some cases beyond where they were. And and you're building that relationship and that's what's going to come in handy when things get better. Yes. So, and the other thing I saw is I think, you know, again, this was three, four years ago. I think at the time you had like three, if that, I mean, right. I remember two chicks in the hotel, and I think that was it. There might have been one more. Yeah. And I went over now to your partner page. I was like, oh, Mark's been busy. So how do you find your partners? You know, it's kind of wash, rinse, and repeat. I, I periodically go into my Facebook group and say, you know, where are you guys going when you come publish a trip report? And people are, are really engaged in that group, and they'll list 40 places that they went. One guy listed 65 or 67 places that he went that I had recommended. Now he did this in like three or four days. Like I would never do it like he did. it. (laughs) Um, So that guy got a very nice care package from us because we just were like, wow, you are beyond a super fan. Right. (laughs) Um, But we'll take those lists and look at them and reach out to those businesses. And we continue to do that. Or if my wife and I go to a place that we think is just a good fit for our, our community, we'll reach out. You know, and, and part of it is, as you know, you have to get used to being told no. Sometimes the businesses, even today, you know, today, most people know what a podcast is, but some businesses don't want to spend their money that way, or they just don't see it as they don't know anything about you or your community, you know? And so then my next step is if I really, really think they're a good fit, I'll plug them, you know, for free. And if it doesn't work out from my lens, I'm still helping my community. And again, to me, Dave, that gets to one of those core things you preach over and over again in the school of podcasting and in your answers online, right? About 
I take it, uh, interpret it as being true to what you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, yes, I, I want to make this a money-making venture, but I'm also trying to serve my audience. And if I serve them first, I trust that more often than not, the sponsorship stuff will work out. And it has for me. Well, I know one of the stories I have in the book is where you had, when you first started the show, you knew about Two Chicks Walking. So it's a walking tour of, now, how do you say, I'm in Ohio. I want to say New Orleans. I say New Orleans. New Orleans, or yes. is it, I've heard other people say it's almost like gnawing off your leg. It's like Nolens, and I was like, "No, it's New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans." Sorry. And you were talking about two chicks walking, and if I understand this, they came to you. Mm-hmm. Is that how that worked? They came to me. I knew the owner a little bit, like through a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing, but they came to me because they said people keep mentioning you, and we keep getting when we ask, you know, at the end of our tour, how did you find out about us? People are saying, well, we found out about you from this podcast. And I'm behind on my webpage. You mentioned sponsors. I need to update that, actually. But in almost every case, that's what's happened. So I have another really good sponsor called the Historic New Orleans Collection. They're a free museum, a really great museum in the heart of the French Quarter. And I made no progress like reaching out to them and asking if they wanted to partner. And so I kept telling people, when you go in, there's a guest book. And one of the questions is, how do you know about us? And I just said, would you please just write Beyond Bourbon Street when you do that? And I asked that. And about three months later, I got a phone call and they said, we would like you to come meet with us. And I walked in and they pulled out a paper book that was a, you know, still a registry. Now I'm sure they don't do it with COVID. And they said, flip through this book. And on every single page, there were three or four Beyond Bourbon Street, Beyond Bourbon Street, Beyond Bourbon Street. And they were like, who are you? And that began a relationship (laughs) that turned into, um, they're now one of our primary partners. Nice. Well, you mentioned you have 14,000 people. And I just want to pause for like a half a second and think about 14,000 thousand people. Now, granted, it's a Facebook group, and we know that there are people that are joining and never come back, but that's still, you got 14,000 people to say, I want a little more information here. How do you handle 14,000 people? Because I've heard some Facebook groups, well, we've seen Facebook yeah. groups that just turn into all sorts of chaos. Yeah. So what's your what's your advice for somebody who's got a community that's starting to to get bigger or they're trying to start one Like, what's the secret to a good community? I I think one is getting thick skin and knowing that you're going to get some of that, right? Some of what you Mm. just described, you're going to get some trolls. We put rules in place. So people have to, you know, sort of read the rules and acknowledge them. I'm sure a lot of people don't read them. They just click it. Incidentally, kind of a side thing. One of the things that we make people read, it says, did you know we have a podcast and here's where you can find it? because we found so many people join the group because Facebook pushes the group to them and they don't even know we have a podcast. The other key is to have moderators. You know, as it grew to six, 7,000, my wife and I looked at each other and, and we're like, all we're doing is moderating this group. We need some help. <laughs> and we were fortunate that we just reached out to the community. We kind of looked at people that were frequently yeah. participating and said, would a couple of you be willing to help us? And now we have sort of a super secret Facebook group where that group kind of throws out, hey, is is this post out of line or is this whatever? And we are quick to to respond. You know, it takes a lot of work. It, it really does. When, when people report a post, we're quick to take a look at that and see if it's appropriate or not. You know, particularly during COVID, 
people got really testy about vaccinations and oh, my yeah. rights and all of that. And it would go <laughs> sideways pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I'm glad you pointed it out because we frequently get responses or, or personal messages that say your group is really a place that's civil and a place I come for sort of a respite on Facebook. And we know how rare that can be. But the having good rules, having kind of a make people check off a list before they they join so that you approve them. And then the moderators really make a huge difference. You know, 14,000 people in your your group, which again is amazing. Thank you. And you just went over a million downloads. I did. And you don't really have, I mean, you have a lot of episodes, but it's not like you're, you know, oh, I got 3,000 episodes or whatever. It's like, no, you've got, so what do you attribute your success? You know, I, I think consistency. And I say that telling you then saying in 2022 consistency has been really hard because we'll get to the book and you know what putting a book out is like and having Mm. a job and and a family and all that stuff. I think that it is being consistent and listening to the audience. I mean, that sounds so trite, but right, really giving them what they want. So I'm sure like you do, Dave, I, I get inundated with IMs and texts and emails saying, why don't you cover this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you? Well, I keep track of that stuff. And as much as I can, I look for opportunities to, you know, hey, is that an episode and turn it into it. So I think that one of the secrets is to be really responsive. I'm super proud to have this little niche podcast about uh, about a city, right? And turn that into a million downloads. And you and I both know that that's not a million individuals and we could parse that all the different ways. But it still means a heck of a lot of people have listened to your voice. Uh, because as you mentioned, when I crossed a hundred, uh, a million, it was right about 150, 152 episodes. So it's not that many. You know, it means one, I have a solid subscription base, but it also means a lot of people that aren't subscribed have listened to at least one episode to get to that kind of number. And I think it's it gets back to community. You know, I, one of the asks all the time is, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with somebody who loves New Orleans. Uh, it took me a long time as an introvert to get used to, if we're out and about town and we're in a line somewhere, I try really hard to work into the conversation that, hey, Dave, you know, I have this podcast about New Orleans. You know, you're asking me all these questions as a tourist. Here's this podcast. Why don't you take out your phone and subscribe? And so a lot of it, we've never done ads. A lot of it is just word of mouth, you know, and asking people to to share share the podcast with other people. Now, with like the the hotel and some of the places you're partnered with, do you have like a stack of business cards at the checkout or anything like that? Or do you have a sticker on their window that says as featured on, you know, beyond Bourbon Street or anything? So we keep meaning to do the stickers. That's on my long to do list. But we do often either put a postcard or we'll work mm. with them. You know, each one's different. We'll get them to put something on their website. The hotel, when they were a sponsor and they were one of the casualties of they're still around, but they had to back out of sponsoring. They would send out to their email list periodically. They would include a link to the mm. podcast, a link to the website. We did some events in their space. So they were really good partners. And for, from their lens, it was another way to enhance their visitors' experience, right? They knew not everyone was going to listen to a podcast, but some people were going to walk in that front door and go, oh, this is terrific. That's the same way that I'm promoting the book. So that those same partners are willing to put the book at the front desk, 
you know, and sell a few copies of the book or give them to their VIPs or whatever it might be. Well, and speaking of the book, how did that uh, come across your your desk? Because uh, as you've you've now mentioned, writing a book sounds yo know, well. You just type up a few words and you know blah blah blah. It's yeah. a lot harder than it it looks. So did they approach you? Did you write it and approach somebody else, or how did that come about? So the short answer is they approached me. Uh, Amy Lyons is my editor at Globe Pequot Press, which is a uh, an imprint of Roman and Littlefield. And randomly, um, actually through Lou Mangello, I knew a literary agent and I had talked to her about a year previously about writing a book and had decided not to do it, that the timing wasn't right. And she sort of, as you and I have discussed, let me in on a little bit of what's involved in writing the book. (laughs) And so then about a year later, Amy, out of nowhere, cold called me and said, we're a small to medium imprint of Roman and Littlefield. We specialize in regional books. We don't have a book about New Orleans and we want one. We started doing our research. We saw your podcast. We love that there's a family feel to it. The vibe seems to match what we go for in our books. Would you be interested? So I consulted my friend, uh, my agent, Sally Ekus, and it seemed like the right time. They were willing to, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't a self-published book. It was, uh, you know, on a press. It was, uh, they, they offered a decent uh, amount of, of uh, you know, of upfront money. The problem, of course, is then that's only the beginning, right? What I didn't know is they then <laughs> said, great, now that we've pitched you, you need to write a 30-page pitch back to us for our editorial board. And I was oh. like, wait a minute, you asked me to write the book, <laughs> but it had to still be approved by an editorial board. So that began, you know, it was like writing a term paper in college. All of a sudden, you know, they wanted to For about know, three weeks straight. Yes, yes. right. Because <laughs> they want it now, right? So we got through that hurdle. We agreed on terms and, you know, you go back and forth on all of that. And then we had set in place a time frame, and then COVID hit. Mm. And I, again, I, I'm writing a travel guide and COVID hits. And I essentially wrote a 250-page book twice. I wrote the entire book and wrote it in a sort of a, a, a style that I had picked out, uh, basically eat, see, drink, do, and kind of wrote the whole thing, submitted it, COVID hit, and we got together and said, we have, you know, they said, we can't release a book right now. This was in the early days of COVID. We have to sit on this and wait. And the longer we waited, obviously, businesses were closing. Yeah, I say. <laughs> There goes page 19 right, right. and 20, right. 25. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't. It's down, to a, you, it's down to a pamphlet. You write a travel book, travel guidebook, and no matter when you finish, something's right. going to close, right? But businesses were closing every week. And so they basically came back to me and said, let's refresh this. The problem became it was more than a refresh. I, I just felt like I had to start over. And in the midst of it, I decided to change the whole format and write it about neighborhoods because that's often how I talk about New Orleans. And so instead of it being a book that's eat, see, drink, do, now The Insider's Guide to New Orleans is a book that talks about a neighborhood and then within the neighborhood tells you about eat, see, drink, do. So I basically had to scrap the 80,000 words I had written, start over. <laughs> You know, new businesses started opening and then we got through all of that and it was going to be published last September. Well, like everything, we hear this phrase supply chain issues. 
they couldn't get paper and they couldn't get glue and they couldn't get all of these things. So they kept coming back to me and saying, well, what other businesses have changed because we got a delay. So we just soon keep updating your book. So I signed the contract in 2019 and the book was released two days ago on May 1st, 2022. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. So that, well, that's got to feel, but, but how good do you feel now that it's out? I feel both relieved and kind of, I don't know how you feel, but sort of like, oh, wow, I wrote a book and it's like a real thing in the world. And that's pretty cool. And you'll, you'll find out here now that you thought the, although in your case, you have, you had a much more fun time than I did. Although mine was my editing. I went through like six different editors because of COVID. So, but you find out that much like a podcast, you get that first episode out and you're like, yes, it's out. And like, okay, that's, that was actually the easy part. The hard part is getting people to listen to it. And the same thing with a book. Once you get the book out, you're like, great. Now, like, now I got to find people who want to read it. And that's another whole, you know, very much similar to podcasting. You got to find the right people and tell them about it, make friends and network and all that other fun. Stuff, I had, so. If I had thought about that part of it, I wouldn't have written the book. I had, I was completely naive to that, Dave. The nice thing though, is you've got 14,000 people in a Facebook group that probably might enjoy that book. So that's the good thing. You, you build up your audience. And I think that was an allure for the publisher. I have 33,000 Instagram followers, 14,000 people in the Facebook group. Obviously like you, I have a big audience listening to the podcast every other week. So there are plenty of easy kind of low hanging fruit. I have yet to see, and it'll be a while before I get one of those bank statements like you got, right? With the royalties. (laughs) I have no idea how many we're actually selling, but what you see in the Facebook group is hundreds of people posting. I've ordered, and now they're starting to post the pictures of the book, which is really cool. But you're right. There's this whole other skill about, oh, what do you mean? I have to go do book signings and I need to go find interviews and I need to, you know, go on television and, and radio and talk about the book. Like podcasting, it's one of those things. If you think about that too much, you'll never hit record the first time, right? And so, uh, you know, I'll I'll figure it out as I go. I have a lot of friends like you that have written books. I have a really great agent, a really good editor. And so far, they've been pretty helpful. You know, every day I'm saying, is this a dumb question? But how do I get this book in this person's hands? What do I do? And you're right. It helps to have, again, I go back to that basic that I learned from you is if you do things the right way and you build commitment and trust with your audience, they'll be there for you, you know? And so now when I talk on the podcast, I say the most important thing you can do to support me right now is order the book. You know, if you've enjoyed it, order the book in the Facebook group. Now, if you get value from that, order the book. Yeah. Especially for those people, like I love so much what you've done for the city and you're like, well, you know what? There's a way you can say thank you. That's right. It's called buy my book. Right. And people are willing to do that, right? Because yeah. because it doesn't feel like an unequal exchange. They feel like they've gotten a lot, whether it's from the podcast or I think I mentioned to you, every time I do a poll in the Facebook group, about 60% of the people in the group don't even know I have a podcast. On the one hand, that's maybe poor marketing. On the other hand, that's constant opportunity for growth, Right. And so I'm constantly plugging the podcast in the Facebook group, plugging the Facebook group in the podcast. Both of those things become, what that also tells me is it's a bigger audience potentially for the book. 
right? Because people, yeah. I can't assume that everyone in the Facebook group listens to the podcast or the reverse. And so, you know, part of that challenge is fun too. Like I have a book. That's so cool. Just like when you launch the podcast, right? It's so terrifying to hit record. <laughs> and then it's even more terrifying to upload to Lipson and hit release and let that thing go out in the world. And you think six people are going to listen to this, right? And sometimes <laughs> six people listen to the first episode. But once you get over that, then all of a sudden you start to think about all those other things, right? And it just builds and it's getting the repetitions in. And I feel like that's how we got to a million. That's how we got to a book by not worrying too much about that, but sticking with the core of, I want to share a city that I love and I want to get rid of the misconceptions about it. And I'm hoping that someone, that that resonates with someone and it has. Right. And then learning to not be so shy about saying, if it resonates with you, share it with somebody else. There you go. And you you mentioned the Facebook group and it sounds like the fact that people are saying, oh, you have a podcast that's helping to grow the audience. Is there anything else you can think of that you've done that you can actually point at and go, yeah, that actually helped grow the audience? I think being just being more vocal when I'm out and about and talking about the podcast. I don't know about you. I, I do know you a little bit and know that um, as much as you're out in the public, you're pretty introverted in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. and it's hard yes. that you've had a ton of success with school of podcasting and your other endeavors, but it's hard to remember to always talk about that, right? It's easy if we're at a podcasting conference, of course, right. but I'm out in the world just last weekend. I was at French Quarter Festival, big festival, big music festival. Um, some friends were in, took them to a restaurant. We're standing in line. And the woman behind us was asking all these questions about where should I go and what should I do? And finally, my buddy said, this guy right here has the number one podcast in the city and has a book. And afterwards, he was he said, you know, you need to be the one saying that. Like, you're standing yeah. here. She's queuing it up for you. So I think when I do that, that makes it to, to answer your question, not being afraid to talk about the things that you have, because there's a success built there, right? Like yours, a million times my podcast has been downloaded. Whatever doubts I have, by some measure, it's successful and people have found value, right? And so sharing that, I really believe word of mouth, one person at a time has made the biggest difference. I really do. And, and, and being authentic, right? Somebody wants to meet me and I'm in an event and I, and I can find five minutes to meet you. I'm going to stop and go say hi and take a picture and, you know, answer your question about where to go to dinner tonight. Can you explain why when that, when you, when somebody's teeing it up going, I don't know, I'm new to the city. Is there anything I can use to figure out what to go see? Why aren't you stepping up and saying, actually, I do a podcast. I think it's because I'm introverted and no one believes yeah. that, but I really like, I am an introverted person. Oh, I do. Right. And I know, I know I'm speaking to my audience here, right? <laughs> but I'm introverted and my wife all the time, my wife carries my business cards in her purse to hand out. <laughs> there you go. She's a keeper. <laughs> and the kids have, yeah. have our stickers in, in their pockets usually. That's it. That, that really is a good strategy. I used to design websites for people right. many moons ago. And my top referrer by like no contest, my sister-in-law was a teacher and she would run parent teacher conferences and all these other teachers. She's like, Hey, 
so-and-so is going to be calling you. They need a website. And so anybody that understands what a podcast is and understands what your podcast is, definitely give them business cards or stickers yeah. or something. I mean, right now uh, I'm wearing a school of podcasting shirt. Why? Because I was in downtown Akron today. So I should have actually been wearing my Akron podcast shirt, but I wore the school of podcasting shirt. So anytime I'm out in public, I will absolutely throw on some sort of yep. swag that promotes what I'm doing because I, like you, I have a hard time. I'm praying somebody goes, wait, do you do a podcast? And I'll, then I'll, I'll enter it. So, uh, well, there's one other thing I want to ask you about, because you mentioned you have a family, you have a full-time job, and you have a podcast. How do you do that and keep your sanity? You know, I, I don't know. And I'm actually working on another <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. You, you know that feeling. <laughs> I think a lot of it's about being really organized with your time and mm. deciding what you do with your air quotes free time. I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I do love the New Orleans Saints, so I, I, I watch the Saints, but I don't spend much time watching television or Netflix or any of those things. I spend my time, and I have a day job, a busy day job. I spend my time at the job or with my family. I have 10-year-old twins, so we're, um, oh, man. you know, that's a busy time of life. And I'm just really careful about scheduling as best I can. I'm having to adapt now because, as you said before, releasing a book then becomes a whole other job. And I wasn't prepared for that. But one of the pieces of advice I've gotten about that is that it's exciting to release it. And you certainly want to generate enthusiasm at the beginning. But this book is going to live in this form for a long time. You know, a travel guidebook typically will get updated every two years if it's successful. So hopefully they like me. They like the product. We do well with it. In two years, we'll update it. What that means, though, is you don't have to spend all your energy the first week. You know, the book will still yeah. be popular later in the year and as events come up, you know, and sometimes it's about just letting go and saying, I'm not going to get everything done. I was, that mm. kind of gets to the consistency. I believe that you're sort of signing a contract with your audience to be on time. And I take that really seriously with the podcast, but I've also had to come to say, sometimes I have to go in the Facebook group and say, guys, the podcast is going to be 24 hours late. Life has just gotten in the way or I'm exhausted, or the kids have a recital, you know, whatever it might be. And the reality is, while I think consistency is important, as you well know, people that like our podcast binge our podcast. So you have some people that are like, wait a minute, it's not in the feed at 12.05 on Wednesday, <laughs> right? And you have other people that catch up when they catch up as they're living their lives. And if you have a way to sort of communicate with people, they understand. That's it. They want you to win. Right. And they would rather have a good show that was 24 hours late than an on-time show that was meh. Right. So, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, man, it's it's been way too long it since has. we've caught up. It's great catching up with you. Uh, check out his website, beyondbourbonst.com. Check out the podcast. Check out the book. I'll have links to everything in the description. And uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Hey, Dave, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. I'm thrilled to be on the School of Podcasting. Thanks so much. What a guy. And I'm hoping as I record this, it is actually May 23rd. I'm getting ready to uh, leave for PodFest. And I'm hoping I get to hang with Mark there. It really is one of those cases when you don't see someone for a while and I, you know, we follow each other on Facebook and stuff. But when I actually got, you know, face to face or screen to screen with Mark, I was like, you know what? I forgot how cool that guy is. Very, very cool. 
Check out his book. Check out his website. Everything will be out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 829. But the one thing that I was like, you know what? That is so cool. The one thing that Mark does, he doesn't call them sponsors. He calls them partners. And we really should kind of think about that with every person that we interact with on the podcast. So it's not a sponsor. It's a partner. It's not a guest. It's a partner because we're all trying to make the best content that's going to inspire the people that are listening to tell a friend. 70%, according to Jacobs Media, 70% of podcasts are discovered via word of mouth. That means we need to make content that is so good that people tell a friend. As I uh, was fiddling around with this episode, I noticed that the Roadcaster 2 uh, came out. It's six ninety nine and has a few more bells and whistles and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm sure it's a great unit. I'm going to try to buy one. And But it is another thing that I'm like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of people going, maybe if I got a Rodecaster Pro 2, it would grow my audience. And remember how I started this. Ask your audience because there's a really good chance they're like, no, I think your podcast sounds fine. And we're all kind of guilty at times of getting hung up on the broadcast instead of focusing on the reception. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to check out the show. I deeply appreciate it. It's going to be interesting to see what I sound like next week when I go to these events. I basically talk all day, and then I go to the networking parties, which usually have loud music, so I'm screaming all night. I'm not getting any sleep, and I come home, and I sound like Darth Vader or James Earl Jones. I'm like, welcome to the School of Podcast. It's always fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks again. The website, schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER when you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription and realize that I'm going to be in your pocket. I now am using an app where we kind of video chat, but it's asynchronous, meaning you ask me a question, I send you an answer. And the beauty of that is if you don't want to be on video, you can also do audio. And I just actually showed somebody they had a Lipson question. I just logged into Lipson and I shared my screen on the app. It's way cool. If you want a podcast consultant in your pocket, just go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash work with me. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, take care. God bless. Class is dismissed. And Doug, what do we say to people at the end of the podcast? Hey, this is Doug from King's X. And if you like what you hear, go tell someone and may the groove be with you. 